Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Welcome to another episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. Got a great show for you this month. We have Miss Vanessa Gibson. She's the Executive Director of the Community Action of South Mississippi. It's going to talk to us about the work that they do and the challenges that they face, as well as I've got a, a personal thought of the month, just talking about procrastination and getting things done on a project I've been working on that's really near and dear to my heart. And for the breach, I want to talk about preparedness and putting your in a position to win and even statistically how much better uh, you'll be off by spending a little time on the front end. So stay tuned. We're going to get it started right now. Cyber attack analysis. Let's break it down. For the cyber breach of the month, I want to talk about incident readiness and there's a recent report that just came out from SecureWorks that is really fascinating. This is um, is just came out, uh, just got it today. And really what they went around to is business owners across all of the world, and I want to focus mainly on America, uh, and in different industries and different uh, regions, employee sizes, et cetera, et cetera. So a very extensive report. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight questions that they asked about how they were as it related to a security incident and their readiness to be able to handle that incident. And it is quite alarming. I just want to read a couple of these off to you. This is from America. This is, uh, we test security policies and controls frequently. 22% of companies did that. We are fully compliant against all cybersecurity-related regulations. 23% of companies felt confident in answering that question. We subscribe to a threat intelligence platform or threat intelligence data feeds to stay on top of adversary movements. 22% of companies do that. Here's another one. We have developed an instant response playbook. 19% of companies in America have done that. We implement security controls and policies across our entire infrastructure. 19% of companies have done that. Really what this is telling me is that we are at such a deficit in our ability to have the basically doing our homework so that we're actually ready. And it's what we're seeing is why companies are attempting to throw money at the problem, meaning that you know the IT spend for cybersecurity has gone up, I think, 17%. Uh, across the, the board, which is really astounding whenever you think about all the businesses, and yet the bad actors are still achieving higher and higher paydays. And you know, I've said this before, that if cybercrime were a world economy, it would be third behind um, U.S., then China, and then cybercrime. So what we're seeing is the attempt to uh, for companies to actually throw money at problems, but it's really not uh, squelching the overall problem. So really what's got to happen, in my view, is that some of the basic homework, the documents, the planning, 
the sitting back and thinking about it for a minute and putting together the plan is really going to be the most effective way for business owners to be able to um, to be able to protect their company, their employee data, that whatever data they they house, even the supply chain of you know who they're servicing, and um, you know that we see affected whenever a big uh, cybersecurity breach happens. We see that you know the the whole ecosystem can be thrown off, especially as it relates to uh, marketplaces where there's single source vendors for you know certain things could really upset our economy. So. The takeaway from this to me is, is that we've got to start doing the pre-planning um, and the, you know, I'd start with a good incident response plan so that you can at least understand, um, start to have that conversation about what could happen, what does it look like. I'm always here to, you know, to help. And again, you could do something on a napkin at a restaurant that would be so much better than having absolutely nothing in place. Hope you guys are having a good month. Talk to you soon. Interview an expert. Now, let me introduce you. Welcome to another episode of Success Failed. I have a special guest this morning, and it's Miss Vanessa Gibson, and she is the Executive Director at the Community Action of South Mississippi. Uh, welcome to the program, Vanessa, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Well, great. Well, I want to find out, I guess, first, we need to kind of define what all the, um, you know, what is Community Action of, of South Mississippi? What are you guys, what are you there for? Okay, well, that's a very good question, and it's one that a lot of people really don't um, know or understand. So Community Action was born um, out of federal regulations back in 1965, right along with the Voting Rights Act, and um, it created an, a place where people could come and receive help with, you know, maybe getting back into the workforce, um, help with housing, trying to figure out what kind of work they wanted to do. And you have to remember what was going on back then. Um, the Vietnam War was about to wrap up, and a lot of men were gone. And so this was targeted at women for the most part. So you have the birth of Head Start right here in Mississippi. This is the pilot program where it started up in, I think, the Meridian area. But um, from that, grew out these community organizations who received a federal grant from or two federal grants, one being Head Start and the other being CSBG, Community Services Block Grant. They received a um, two grants from the federal government down to the local level to be able to serve their very specific communities because they knew better what their communities needed. So that's how we were formed. That's what we were born from. And Community Action of South Mississippi started out just in Jackson County, but now we serve Jackson, George, and Harrison County. Got you. That's great. Now tell us a little bit about how you got involved. Just, you know, how did you get involved in this organization? Well, it's interesting because when I um, – I guess I've always known about Head Start, kind of like a lot of people. You vaguely know what it is, but you're not familiar with really what's going on unless you're a part of the program. 
So I returned home after being gone for about 18 years and was raising my kids. And I came back home um, and was working for Hancock Bank for a while. And while I was doing that, I discovered this program um, because they were actually my client. The agency was my banking relationship. And out of that, I started to learn a little bit more about them, and then I got involved in something called the Policy Council, which is a community parent group that works together to form um, different policies for Head Start. And so I was working and engaged in that. When the Head Start director position became available, I applied, and 24 years later, um, I finished that job, and a year ago, I took on the new role. Got you. Great. Now, I'm sure that, um, you know, helping people sometimes is probably challenging. Let me just, you know, kind of dig in a little bit about what do you see as the biggest challenges in, you know, South Mississippi for the people that you're helping? Well, I really believe that a lot of people don't know that we're here to actually provide the services that we do. You know, if you have a small child, you are very familiar with Head Start and, and you know, free child care is a commodity, a hot commodity. So I don't have much problem uh, recruiting children to the program. Each year that is not an issue. Um, we now serve children from birth, well, I'll say two months, two months old to right before they go into kindergarten. So I'll say age five is when they graduate and go on. Um, and so as far as Head Start goes, the only challenge we've been facing is, of course, we have pre-K in our community now, so we, all of our four-year-olds kind of went away. But, but then we started serving the younger children as a result. So that's not really an issue. Um, but, you know, Jackson County is a community that is made up of a lot of hardworking people who, you know, you've got the shipyard, you've got um, the hospital system, of course you've got school district. Really, if you want to work in Jackson County, there's a place for you, and actually the jobs pay quite well if you have a skilled labor. Mm -hmm. um, and so my position serves people who are in poverty, you know, our poverty rate is 15% for Jackson County. Um, it's a little bit higher in maybe Harrison County, but about 15% here. That's not really high compared to the rest of the state. And um, as a result, you know, you have more and more people who are self-sufficient. So that's a good thing. You know, maybe one day we will put ourselves out of business. But there are still poor people, and those people don't always know that we are available to help them, and there is a sense of pride about people not wanting to ask for help. Um, so I would say that's my biggest challenge, is actually finding the people who are out there who really could use our help and understand that we're not trying to make you dependent on anything. Uh, that could be the, you know, that's not what we're trying to do at all. We want you to be self-sufficient, but we don't want you to get yourself in trouble where you're about to get evicted or you're sitting there with your lights turned off or you're about to have them turned off or you just don't know how to get yourself enrolled in, a, in one of these programs that's out there at the shipyard or at the college that could get you to a place where you are able to make a better living for yourself. That's really our, our challenge and our goal. 
yeah. A lot of times I think it's um, it's like a freight train. It's hard to get that thing going, but if you can get it going, it'll go a long ways. You know, it's almost the self the momentum of itself can carry it a long ways. So yeah, once both... people do connect with us and they realize what we're doing, you know, I hear it all the time. It's like I didn't know y'all did all that, and oh my goodness, and great, and you know, they're wonderful. They're glad to be a part of it, and they go on and they do great things for themselves. Um, but it's getting the word out um, to people because, you know, you and I may never have needed this service. And so if we never needed it and then suddenly we do, we we why would we know about it? Yeah, for sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, life changes. I mean, life is definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's not a, a definite what tomorrow is going to bring, you know, for sure. That's and right. I think everybody could attest to that. So for you guys, is there any, um, you know, like challenges with staffing or anything that, um, you know, are you getting plenty of folks? I know that I talk with a lot of other, you know, business owners and folks like you, and it seems like, you know, getting staffing is, is always a challenge and, you know, keeping the team together. Are you guys experiencing any of that? Yes, this is probably the most unprecedented um, experience of my career here, and, and I like I mentioned earlier, 24 years, we have never had a situation where we have positions that no one's applying for. Um, so, yes, we have vacancies all over the agency. We're constantly advertising, um, and it does impact our ability to provide services in the way, we, you know, that we're accustomed to. So, yes. For sure. So if you need a good job, Come see Vanessa. That's right. Please apply. (laughs) What do you see as far as um, like things that are you guys looking to offer more things or grow in any certain area? Do you see any specific needs within, you know, within your community that are really, you know, kind of getting missed or being underserved? Yes. um, We've been talking for quite some time about um, the lack of, financial literacy in the communities we serve, in the in the clients we see, you know, un, not even understanding basic banking. You know, um, many people still don't have banking accounts, and so they're using uh, these preload cards to get their payroll checks, or maybe they've already messed up a relationship they had with the bank, and so they don't feel confident going back in. They don't know how to repair their credit they don't know how to build their credit. They don't understand the whole system and how it could benefit them. And, you know, opportunities came along here earlier in the year where houses, the housing market was hot and everybody wanted to buy a house. Well, we started doing HUD. We were doing HUD classes all last year, actually, um, trying to prepare people to become homeowners. And the classes were very popular, 25 you know, people at a time coming in. But then when we really got into the nuts and bolts of it, we discovered that, you know, nine out of ten of them weren't prepared. They didn't have a down payment. They didn't understand their credit wasn't ready. There were so many steps that they had missed on the way to becoming a homeowner that we had to back them up and say, okay, you know, we need to work on that. So that's one of the things we are really trying to work, work out is a whole new opportunity within this organization to push um, financial literacy in for our staff to begin with. We're going to begin in-house, 
And then we're going to expand out to our client base and try really hard to keep them away from payday lending and some of these other places. You know, we've been doing volunteer income tax prep for, um, well, since right before Katrina, so 16, 17 years. And we do it for free so that they can keep all of their return to themselves. But because many of them are in such a rush to get that money, they will go out and pay astronomical amounts of money to get it, and they don't even understand that they've taken out a loan, um, paid somebody for something that they could have either done themselves very easily or had done for free. Yeah, That's just one example. Yeah, I would see that as a fundamental, and that's not even, I don't even think that's with maybe the, you know, folks with, you know, not a lot of money. I see that across the board with with tons of people. I don't think that the education system in general is teaching people how to manage money and, you know, mm-hmm. seeing money more as a tool and, uh, you know, rather than a, you know, um, than a, you know, I don't know, they, it's you know money is really it's just another thing, but if you don't have control over it, it'll own you. And I see that right. across the board where people are doing things. And then you got you know people that are I call it predatory you know lending or whatever where they're really taking advantage of people that that don't understand the system and and really you know how it works. So that's great. That Correct. is something. I think you could expand that. Uh, in every demographic, and it would it would go a long, long, long way because the people who get it, you know, they seem to rise to the top pretty quick, mm-hmm. and those who don't never never seem to engage. And I'll tell you another one that I've discovered. You know, we also offer um, parenting classes, and you know that crosses demographics as well because people. I mean, how are you supposed to know? Um, what is appropriate, age-appropriate behavior for a child if you hadn't been taught that. You will do whatever you saw done when you were being raised, right or wrong, and you'll repeat a pattern. And if it's a bad pattern, then you continue to do things that you don't, you just don't know any better. So we try to get people to understand, hey, you know, there's some pretty basic things that we now know about brain development in small mm-hmm. children and you know now we know also that children's brains don't fully form until they're in their 20s yeah. so there's so much information that we have now that would help parents to do a better job of um helping their kids to navigate into adulthood yeah for sure and now even with society in general and I don't want to get you know too far into this but just you know, they're seemingly, from my point of view, at least I can speak for myself, but uh, it seems like they're pushing things on kids that, I mean, I certainly remember, you know, being in seventh grade and learning some things in seventh grade, right? But I guarantee you, every third grader is knows today. And, um, you know, so, and I don't think that's necessarily, uh, you know, the best. Yeah. I don't either, and I won't pass judgment on it. And I no longer have kids in the system either. They're they're adults now, but I do recognize um, some things that are going on that I thought, wow, you know. <laughs> I think I I think my first algebra class was in seventh grade, 
and I'm I'm very certain that they're getting those concepts a lot earlier. Um, and that's because of the technology. You know, yeah. they're having to understand not just how to use the technology, but we need people that can program for us. So I know that's why they're doing some of the things they're doing, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of rough. It's rougher on the parents, I think. Oh, for sure. And uh, I like Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you've ever – if you ever kind of – I follow him. He's a – I guess he started off really as more of a um, psychologist, counselor t- type guy. But, uh, you know, he talks about the patterns that you see as a child. That will be your default, and you're going to have to somehow learn or overcome the default, and it's it's difficult. And that's why things repeat so easily. Um, and I heard something really cool. My daughter studied psychology. She's a uh, she got a psychology degree with a business uh, minor, and she was talking about even DNA, how uh, it it writes a uh, you know it's writing to your you know your DNA, the experiences that you have, and even that might be passing things on through kids, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting, and and they're just now you know, um, scratching the surface on genome um, information and how that DNA is really working. And we're going to find out a lot more about ourselves than we ever dreamed that <laughs> we are passing on to our kids inadvertently. Yeah, for sure. Maybe even through food and all mm-hmm. kinds of things that, um, you know, sometimes the easiest ain't the best or whatever, the cheapest ain't the best as far as right. the way we're we're handling things like that. Well, what do you see as far as um, kind of your future? What do you think are going to be the challenges of tomorrow? We're going to learn more. You know, I feel like, um, you know, as a whole, um, you know, I employ a lot of younger people, you know, going into technology, and I see that they're a lot different than I am, you know, as far as, you know, I kind of, I guess, classed as old school and, um you know, what do you think is going to, you know, uh, we know that things repeat themselves, patterns repeat themselves, and we have a pendulum swing one way and it'll swing back the other way. Where do you think we are as far as, um, you know, with technology, you know, driving the day, with social media, with the kids, not necessarily maybe the adults? And maybe a good question would be, you know, percentage-wise, do you have an age group that you guys help the best, the most? Mm. Well, that was a lot of information there. I'm trying to figure out which one of those questions. Yeah, let's first. start off with which age group you guys uh, are working with the most. Well, as far as working with the most, I have 400, well, 536 um, children enrolled in Head Start every single year. So it's been higher. It's been as high as 717, but we're funded to serve a certain number. So when mm-hmm. you take that number and then you extrapolate the fact that we got two parents involved, you know, that's 1,500 people easily each year that we touch. Uh-huh. And um, and those are the people we're trying to, you know, get their children, of course, acclimated, make sure that they have the, the good experiences and the positive learning experience they need so that they're prepared to do well in school, but also we're bringing along their parents and we're doing a lot of work with them to make sure that they understand what it is we're doing so that they can repeat that at home and continue to um, support the child's learning. So I I would say that's the biggest group, 
but we serve a lot of people, you know, during COVID, we served a lot of people who found themselves out of work, who had never been out of work before because, you know, a lot of restaurants closed and all sorts of industries closed. So a new group of people came in needing help with their rent, needing help with um, all sorts of things that I'm glad we were here for. Um, And I may never see those people again, and they may never need us again, but for a time there, they did, and we were here as a safety net for them. Uh, As far as how things are changing, you know, (laughs) I can't begin to imagine. We used to do a class called Mississippi Scholars, and we would go into each of the classrooms of the, it was either seventh or eighth graders, I think it was eighth graders, and we would talk to them about, hey, next year you're going to go to high school, 9, 10, 11, 12, those are your Carnegie units, you know, those are important. It's important that you focus, start thinking about what you want to do. And <laughs> we would say to them, the job that you're going to have may not exist yet. Mm-hmm. And it sounded so futuristic even as we were saying it, and we were using examples like, you know, when I was a kid, there were telephone operators, and there were you know, women who sat there all day long and plugged in and unplugged and made calls for you, and of course they had no concept of what we were talking about. Yeah. So like, but that job doesn't exist anymore. Um, by the time I was an adult, that job had been phased out, and there are a whole lot of jobs that were phased out while I grew up. And there are new jobs now that will probably be gone when you are in the workforce, but there are some new ones that hadn't even been invented yet. And those are the jobs you will be competing for. And they would, you know, the eyes would get all big and we'd say, you know, so we really need you to pay attention and focus and really start thinking. And I think that helped them a lot. Um, and it's true because I, I'm looking at my own children and I have one daughter um, who is working for Google. She works for wow. Google, and she actually works for the YouTube division. And her job is so, it's like she's doing um, content regulations. And and I don't even think that job existed a few years ago because this was unregulated. The whole social network was unregulated. All of a sudden, regulations are coming into play. And she looks at regulations all across the globe, not just in the United States, to make sure that the content they're putting out there is actually legal in that country. Wow. You see. (laughs) And on top of it, she can do that job from anywhere in the country. She doesn't have to be in one location to do it. Yeah, for sure. This work-from-home policy um, that most companies, you know, quite frankly, just – Due to the workforce itself, um, you know, really is a big game changer. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, even for us, you know, we have, um, you know, we have to compete with people that are in Silicon Valley, and of course, Silicon Valley is trying to, you know, stretch out because it's so expensive to live there, and they can hire a remote worker, not have to pay that um, incredible salary because the person uh, doesn't live there and they they don't have to house the office space which is very expensive the electricity the transportation and all that so yeah the work from home policy is definitely um something that i feel like is is here to stay and 
I don't know. I mean, I can see some real advantages of it, but I can see some real disadvantages, especially from a cybersecurity concern that mm-hmm. it opens up. You know, now we got data all over the place mm-hmm. and extra, <laughs> you know, um, points of entry for the bad guys. And we're seeing it. I mean, it's it's not. Oh, a, I know you are. Yeah, it's not a. It's here. It's happening. It ain't going to stop for a while kind of thing is what we're seeing. So, yeah. But I guess for you guys, I mean. Most of your employees are going to be in the office, especially That's if you right. can start program. Yeah, my employees are considered essential workers. I mean, we have a few positions here that could be remote or could work from home on a temporary basis, but for the most part, we are we've been we've been here working since COVID, you know, was announced. We I think we took about three or four weeks off, um, but there was such a great outcry need for our services that we had to get back in here. So there are always going to be those jobs that continue to be hands-on, touching people, you know, having to interact and interface. So mm-hmm. we are one yep. of those. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, Vanessa, uh, I'll tell you right now, my staff who works with you, absolutely, I don't think we've ever really had a great conversation like this before, but my staff absolutely loves you, and I see why. You're uh, obviously a great lady, and, you know, the world needs some more folks like you for sure. Well, thank you, Philip, and I enjoy working with them, too. Tell Chris I said hello. I will certainly do it, and... uh but I appreciate your time and your insight. And uh, if people give me some information for folks there in Southern Mississippi, you know, uh, you know, this is for, you know, you help those folks. Tell them how to get in touch with your agency. Give me some information okay. if people want it to reach out. Our website is C-A-S-O-M-S dot org. That is the best way to Find all the information you need. We do have a Facebook page as well. So between those two um, pieces of information, um, you can reach us. Our Head Start application, for instance, is an online application. So if they go there and click the link, they can put all their information in. I, uh, we have also a phone number. I'll list the the, the um, switchboard number, which is 228 769 Nine two, and that's where you go to make your appointments for um, utility assistance. Great. Well, again, that's how you get in touch with Vanessa at uh, Community Action of South Mississippi, and we appreciate your time so much, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Philip. Same to you. It's time to go inside Philip's head. Thoughts of the month. Thought of the month, I want to talk about action versus procrastination. Uh, many of you probably know that I am deep in the uh, process of building a wedding venue at some property I purchased in Silver Hill, Alabama. Really a beautiful place. It's uh, coming out uh, extraordinarily well. But I tell you, uh, my daughter will be the first uh, person to be married there on October 29th. And I sit here on October 18th, just 11 days, and there's a lot of stuff that still got to happen. So I have been extremely um, stressed and uh, just overwhelmed at times and just trying to pull it all off and make it happen because I really don't have an option. When your daughter's getting married, uh, you're going to pull out all the stops. So I want to kind of 
focus that on just action in itself. And there's a lot of days where I don't know which way to go and I'll get to where I want to not do something or I kind of want to, you know, hold back because I'm just overwhelmed, you know. But every time I feel that way, I really force myself to write down the activities that I can get done and I go start making those happen. And after, you know, basically a little bit of time of that, if I break a sweat or if I'm out you know, doing something, once I get that ball rolling, things just begin to happen. And I want to just encourage the listeners out there that don't let procrastination, you know, own you. You've got to, you know, uh, own it. You've got to break through. You've got to work through things. And I know life's tough for everybody and everybody's had a bad deal for sure. And I'm not discounting that, but really what's going to take us to where we want to go is action, you know, planning and action, planning and action over and over day on day. I call it moving the ball. And as we move forward in doing that, we're going to actually get to where we want to be. And, um, you know, for me and just this, you know, not in the scheme of life, maybe a small feat to uh, to complete this building, this project. But, uh, you know, literally I've had and been managing not only my IT business and other stuff that I've got going, but 30, 30 people out there working here towards the end of this thing with, with you know, five or six different uh, subgroups out there all coordinating them and working them. And if I were to not execute this thing wouldn't happen. It cost me a lot of extra money and it would frustrate a lot of people because, you know, you've got to keep things going. So chin up, you know, don't get overwhelmed, make it happen. And you make it happen by executing, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. Check out askbis.com brought to you by BIS.